So we're going to look at, we're going to look at John chapter 3. We're going to look at the first part of a conversation that a man named Nicodemus has with uh, Jesus. We're going to look at the first part. It's, it's going to be John chapter 3 verses 1 to 10. And we see this conversation comes at a time, it's pretty early in Jesus' earthly ministry. In, in John's Gospel up to here, we've seen at the end of chapter 1, he calls his first disciples. Into chapter 2, he performs the miracle of turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana, in Galilee. And then following that, and just before this section, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. And you have this scene at the temple where he's just so angry at what he sees. Uh, and... He ends up driving animals out of there. He doesn't like, he's seeing that they're trading in the temple and he doesn't like the whole scene and how they've transformed his father's house into a house of trade. And he turns over the tables of the money changers. We also read just after that, that at that time at the Passover, Jesus goes about, he's doing, and the people see lots of miraculous signs that he's doing. And then we come to chapter three and Nicodemus comes to Jesus. So we'll read from chapter three. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where... It comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do not, and do you not understand these things? So we see Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. He comes to Jesus. We're told it's at night. Now, perhaps that was just convenient. He couldn't meet with Jesus during the day, but perhaps there's a sense that actually he doesn't want to be seen coming to Jesus. Perhaps that might be due to some possible hostility from the Pharisees. The Pharisees are forming their own opinion of Jesus already. They're saying, we don't like this guy. We're not sure about what he's teaching. There might have been, suspicions might have been raised from the, the scene at the temple that's just happened. What's this guy? We're not sure what he's about. But anyway... Nicodemus comes. And he gives, he probably got his reasons for coming. He's, he probably wants to talk with Jesus. He begins respectfully, Rabbi, teacher, we know you're a teacher come from God. He's, he's coming. He sounds like he wants to listen. He sounds like he's coming to have a conversation, but we, we don't really get to know what Nicodemus is coming, what Nicodemus' agenda is, because Jesus comes back in straight away. We see Jesus' first statement leaves Nicodemus confused and surprised. Truly, truly, I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. 
And just at the start, before we get into any kind of depth of what that, what he's talking about, we just see simply in this verse, Jesus knows what Nicodemus needs. And what I thought God would say to us today, if you've come, you're here, you're listening to me, but you're listening to the word of God. Jesus wants to speak to you, and Jesus knows what you need. But let's look at what it is that he says. There's different things that Jesus kind of picks up on at this time. We're going to look at uh, a few different things. They're not points specifically. We're going to look at Jesus looks at, talks about the kingdom of God. Several times he mentions it. We see he talks about being born again, about new birth. And then also in this passage, we see Nicodemus's reaction. We're going to look at all three. As I say, they're not particularly points. It's all going to kind of flow together. But that's what we're going to, we're going to see what that says to us. So Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. Jesus took, we've heard, we've heard already this morning about the kingdom of God. We've just been, we've been singing about it. We've been hearing about it from scripture. Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom of God. Through the Gospels, we see it, uh, that Jesus just is all about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. We see examples in Matthew's Gospel. In, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Matthew, it says in Matthew 4, uh, verse 17, Jesus has come back from the wilderness and starts to preach. And it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then further on in chapter 9, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Matthew 13, in fact, has almost a whole chapter of just parable after parable of the kingdom of heaven is like, and the kingdom of heaven is like this, and the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's something that's always on Jesus' mind. He is, because Jesus is coming to bring the kingdom. Jesus is the king who we've been singing about. Jesus is the one who will rule forever as king over his kingdom, over God's kingdom. But Nicodemus would have had some idea of this because he was a Pharisee, a teacher of Israel. He, he knew the scriptures. And back in the Old Testament, it pointed towards the kingdom, the kingdom the eternal kingdom that where one day someone would rule on David's throne forever. For example, in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has a dream. Now it's a strange dream about beasts and kingdoms and then it talks about the Ancient of Days taking his seat. But then in verse 13, chapter 7 verse 13, it says, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And Isaiah talks about the kingdom as well. Words that we will be familiar with from Christmas. Words that are read often at Christmas time in Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9 and verse 6. 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end, and he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness and the zeal from that time on and forever. So Nicodemus, looking back at the prophets and the scriptures, would have known about the kingdom. He was longing for the kingdom to come. Longing for God's eternal kingdom. For things to be restored. And we can know what we're beginning to see just very briefly here. Jesus is bringing his kingdom. Jesus is bringing his kingdom. We see it more throughout the gospel. But even here in John 3, we can just see a snippet. Jesus is bringing his kingdom. But what perplexes Nicodemus? What surprises him? He's, he's, he's expecting the kingdom. He's expecting the kingdom come. The king who is going to reign forever. He's expecting it. He's understood there's something there from back from the Old Testament. He's remembering, yes, this is what God has prophesied. But you can almost see it. It's almost like Nicodemus could be in a bit of a game show. And the next, the, uh, next uh, category is the kingdom of God. Oh, Nicodemus, yes. I know this one. So for 10 points, to see the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Pharisees, Nicodemus. Uh, to see the kingdom of God, uh, come to the temple, come to the place of God's presence with his people. Uh, no, I'm afraid, Nicodemus, that's not what I've got here. New question. To enter the kingdom of God, you must... <coughs> Pharisees, Nicodemus. Ooh. Be circumcised, trace your ancestry back to Abraham, be part of the people of God, and obey the law as maintained by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. No, I'm sorry, I can offer it though. Yes, Jesus? Truly, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. We can kind of get a picture. We think Nicodemus probably thought he understood. But Jesus is challenging the idea that coming into the kingdom is anything about what we have done. Anything about our human, natural ancestry. Nicodemus is presumably waiting for the kingdom, but he's as one of God's people, a Jew, a child of Abraham. Surely I'm on the inside. I'm, I'm sorted. Jesus is coming to him. Jesus knows what Nicodemus needs. Say, no, it's by my spirit. Through what I'm going to do, through what Jesus has now done, you can be born again. It's not by our merit or natural descent. We can't do it. Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Jesus is saying something about the nature of the kingdom. This is a spiritual realm. And whatever we do, however good in the, in the flesh, Flesh gives birth to flesh. It doesn't give us life in the kingdom. 
It's saying our standing before God. It's not due to our efforts, our good deeds, our attempts to be moral, to be good people. And it's not down to where we were born. People nowadays can have all sorts of reasons why they might qualify as a Christian. Or, or if there is a heaven, I'll be all right. I remember at school, there were guys who I'd go to school with who had no real interest in God, didn't want to come to church, didn't want to hear about Jesus. They'd say, oh yeah, I... but they'd say they were Christians. In fact, they'd get very specific. They'd say, I'm a Methodist. Uh, I'm an Anglican. But why? it was all kind of based on, oh, I'm British, they might have been christened. Might have been in, been to the church once. And people can say, no, well, I'm generally a good person. And when you weigh everything up, I'll be okay. I try hard to pray. I come to church. Sometimes. Or as often as I can. But Jesus says to Nicodemus, it's not about any of that. It's not about your deeds and your efforts. Jesus says simply, you must be born again. You need spiritual birth. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. We see Paul in Philippians chapter 3 has no confidence in the flesh. Nicodemus might have thought, I've got it sorted. I'm we can't, we can't suppose exactly what Nicodemus is thought, but we can think. Maybe he's thinking, I'm, I've got it sorted. Paul says in Philippians 3, he had reason. He could have had reason to think, by my efforts, by my following of the law, I'm going to make it. He says this, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is Philippians 3, 4. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Paul's saying there, all the things that we could do, all the things that he had done, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's not worth anything. And what, how Jesus said it here, we need to be born again. Nicodemus is confused. How can this be? We need to be born again through what Jesus has done. Through what Jesus has done at the cross. Jesus has come. Jesus has taken our sin at the cross. So we can be born again. Not by what we have done. Not by what we can manage to drum up. But by his spirit. His spirit brings renewal and rebirth. We're not in control of it in that sense. 
Jesus goes on to say, the wind blows where it pleases. The spirit is at work. It's the spirit who's in control. He is at work. We come, we respond to him and submit to him. By his mercy and grace, he gives us new birth. In fact, we heard earlier, Tom interpreted that word, that tongue. We think, who am I that I should know? Who am I that I should be able to come in? We can. If it was up to our own merit, as Nicodemus seemed to think, we couldn't. We couldn't get anywhere near. But Jesus brings salvation. He draws us to him to make us new by his spirit. So Jesus is talking about being born again. In Titus 3, Paul writes to Titus. Titus 3, verse 5. He saved us not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. It's by his mercy. It's by his mercy. This is what shocks Nicodemus. In the sense, he thought, I'm, I've got this sorted. Hang on. Born again? Born of water and the Spirit? His first initial response is just to completely miss the point and think, how can I, how can I be born again? How can a man who is old be born again? It just doesn't work physically. No, because it isn't physically. We need to be born of water and the Spirit. That's what Jesus is calling him to and what he calls us to. Because again, Paul writes because that if we are in Christ, in 2 Corinthians 5, we'll turn to that, 2 Corinthians 5, this is what it is to be in Christ. This is what it is to be saved. Now, if I find the right verse, 2 Corinthians 5, um, verse 17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So it's not through our efforts, but by the Spirit of God. This confused Nicodemus. He couldn't quite get hold of it at the time. We don't know exactly his response in the moment. But he was confused. How can this be? But for us... For us, we can see this and, and think and just understand what it is that God has done. What it is that God has enabled us to come into. What it is that Jesus has done for us. Because that's what it speaks of. We can't birth ourselves. We're born by him. He, he does it. He has brought us in. And what's he brought us into? He's forgiven us. He's saved us. But he's brought us into new life. To new life in him. It's wonderful truth. It's exciting stuff. But we can have new life. That's what Jesus came to bring us. John 10.10 I've come that they may have life 
and have it to the full. But Jesus goes on. We kind of see Nicodemus has come. Jesus confronts him with this amazing big truth that Nicodemus doesn't quite get. And we can be sympathetic with Nicodemus and think, well, okay, this sounds a bit new compared to some of the stuff that they were, they were holding on to. But Nicodemus is really surprised. How can a man be born again? How can these things be? But then we see Jesus' response to him. Jesus insists that he shouldn't be surprised. Nicodemus shouldn't be surprised at what he's hearing. Jesus says in verse 7, Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. And then in verse 9, You're the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things. But surely, surely it is understandable. Isn't Jesus showing a new way? But what Jesus is saying is, no, this is what the law and the prophets point to. This is what God's plan has been from the beginning. This is the glorious plan that God has been working out throughout history. We've already seen the Old Testament points to the king and the kingdom coming. We see that a couple of chapters before John 3 and John 1, when Philip has been called by Jesus, Philip has recognized that actually those prophecies, they're talking about Jesus. John 1.45. Philip has been called by Jesus. He goes and finds Nathaniel. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So we're seeing Philip gets hold of the fact that Jesus is the one. Jesus is the king who has been prophesied before. Jesus is the one that Moses has spoken about right back, right way back. We can see that. The Old Testament and the prophets point to Jesus, the coming king. In Jeremiah 23, he's called the king, is given the name, the Lord, our righteous saviour. But we can see at the time when Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus, many of the Jews, they were waiting for a saviour. Yes, they were waiting for a king, but they were waiting for our righteous saviour, a mighty warrior who would come and destroy their enemies, destroy the Romans, perhaps at the time, and make them secure, put them securely in the land that he'd given them. They had that kind of sense, this is all about, this is what it's about. I think Liam was saying earlier, it's not just about the land. It's not just about this piece of land that God had given to the Israelites, to the Jews. God's got something much bigger. And so the Lord, our righteous saviour who is coming, is not just concerned about their physical enemies around them. I said at the beginning, Jesus knew what Nicodemus needed. And Jesus knew that the, the real enemy, the real enemy that needed to be dealt with was sin. That's what Jesus comes to deal with. He's coming not just to give them security in the land, but to deal with the problem of sin 
and give them new spiritual life in him. But why Jesus is responding like this, he's saying this is what the Old Testament is pointing to. This is what the law and the prophets have spoken to all the way through. It's a wonderful thing to see that this has been God's plan from the beginning. It's not that God thought, oh no, it's all gone wrong, I've got to change my plan. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to come up with something else, uh, yeah, Jesus. This was his plan from the beginning. We see it right back in, in the garden, in Genesis 3. In Genesis chapter 3. God's dealing with Adam and Eve and the serpent, the devil, after the fall. He says this, if I can find the verse. Okay, I haven't found the verse. I wrote it down, so I didn't have to find the verse. But he talks of putting enmity between the serpent and the woman's offspring. And then says to the serpent, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In the garden, that might have said, oh, okay. Yeah, we don't like snakes. But we're looking forward to the day that Jesus is bringing in here when he is coming to crush the serpent's head. Yes, the devil will strike, it will try and strike his heel, but Jesus will crush the enemy. Jesus has crushed the enemy. But specifically here in John 3, Jesus is giving Nicodemus a clue. Nicodemus didn't get hold of, you must be born again. He kind of misunderstood and thought about the physical side of that. So he said, I tell you the truth, you must be born of water and the spirit. And if Nicodemus is thinking about the, the prophecies that have come and the Old Testament, his mind would probably have come to Ezekiel 36. This is why Nicodemus should have got hold of it. In Ezekiel 36, 24, says this for I will take you out of the nations I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You see here, perhaps they've got hold of this. God's going to bring us back into the land. Yes. And he's going to make us right. Good. But we see, what is what is the scripture talking about? I'll sprinkle clean water on you and make you clean. I'll put a new heart in you. I will put my spirit in you. I'm taking this heart of stone that you've got and I'm giving you a heart of flesh. Jesus says it in John 3. 
You must be born of water and the Spirit. There's new life. That's what everything was looking forward to, looking forward to new life in Jesus by the Spirit. So Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, look, this is what Ezekiel was talking about. This is what it was. It goes beyond bringing Israel back from exile. Beyond bringing them back into the land. Beyond making you secure here on earth. I'm coming to make you new. You must be born of water and the Spirit. I'll give you a new heart. I'll give you new life. In a sense in here, Jesus is just giving Nicodemus the opportunity to recognize who he actually is. Nicodemus has come at the beginning. Rabbi, we know you're a teacher from God. But Jesus' teaching reveals that he is much more than that. And we can see it as we look through scripture. We can understand Jesus is not just a teacher. He's not just a good guy who had some good thoughts that had been sent by God. No. He says it in John 3, coming through, he echoes that word in Daniel 7, when he talks about being the son of man. He's God's son, come down from heaven. That's what he's looking to Nicodemus to see. Nicodemus, you need to be born again. I'm coming as a way to give you life. I'm giving you access to the kingdom. You're going to see it. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to go. I'm going to make a way for you to come in. But how it is, you need to be born again. You need to come to me. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And let my spirit change you. Let my spirit make you new. Nicodemus, I know what you need. Be born again. For us, there's a sense today, the call, Jesus' call remains the same. Jesus can come to us. He knows what we need. He knows what, what our deepest need is. Ultimately, we need to be born again. Ultimately, we need to acknowledge that in our own efforts, we can't do it. We can't make it. We might think we're good or bad or whatever. Somewhere, oh, well, I kind of, some, some good, some bad. Maybe it balances up okay. We might think we're okay. We might actually think, actually, I'm rubbish. But Jesus' call is the same. He knows what we need. He knows we need him. We need new life in him. We need to receive the grace that comes from his sacrifice at the cross and let his spirit give us new life. So there might be some of you here today who have come you may not even know exactly why you've come. Maybe you've come like Nicodemus. You're, I'm, I'm not telling everyone about this. I'm coming in the dark. I'm coming to see. Maybe you're curious. Nicodemus was, had obviously got hold of something through the miracles that Jesus had, uh, Jesus had been performing because that's, what, that's how he addresses him. So maybe you've seen something. But Jesus' call is the same. You need to be born again. But it's not harsh. It's not, this is what you need. Jesus in grace is coming, saying, I can give you new life. I can make you new. I can make you clean. Give you life in all its fullness. 
That's the exciting thing. It's not just, in a sense, it's not just that we're forgiven. We're not just made right, kind of, oh, okay then. Jesus gives us new life. He makes us new. We are new creations. Jesus' call is the same. So maybe some of you, you're thinking, I don't know this. I don't know this Jesus. I don't know this new life. Jesus is saying, you can be born again. Come to me. Let my spirit change you. But for us, many of us, it will be a reminder of, actually, this is what Jesus has done for us. This is what he has done. It's not, it's not ever by any of my effort. But it's by him, by his grace, by his spirit making us new. We've been born again. And in a sense, that can only draw us to worship him. As we recognize, it's not by our merit, it's not by anything about us, but his sovereign work of salvation. He has made us new. As Ezekiel said, he's taken our heart of stone that was just incapable of loving him, that was incapable of living up to the standard, living up to him, being in relationship with him. And he's given us a heart of flesh. He's put a new heart in us. It's the glorious gospel of Jesus that he did it. He took our place. He paid the price and he has opened the way to the Father so that we can have new life in him. And in that, I was struck when I was looking at 2 Corinthians 5, which kind of echoes a lot of the stuff in John 3, talking about new life and rebirth. This is the message Jesus has for the world. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 5:16 and onwards. Sorry, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed us, committed to us the message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Now, Paul is, in a sense, talking specifically of his call, his role to go. He's writing to the Corinthians. He then implores them to respond. But we also, we're Christ's ambassadors. He has made us new, not to hold on to that word for ourselves. Ben prayed so helpfully on Friday at the prayer meeting, if you were there, about this is not about us having found God, God having found us, and we say, oh, well, that's great. We've got a message to take to the world. And that message is the same one that Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again. Jesus has come. Jesus has taken your place. Jesus has paid the price so you can be born again. It's wonderful truth. Jesus, he has done it. 
Jesus has made the way. Now we can know it and we can take it to the world around us. Let's pray.